0: Okay. Uh, we're, those of you who are maybe visiting with us this morning or haven't been here for a while, we, uh, what is this, week three on uh, the Ephesians? We've been in Ephesians 1 2 uh, all three weeks. We actually skipped Ephesians 1 1. Uh, but, um, so we haven't really gone anywhere in terms of uh, progress through verses. I'm going to stay on that verse today, actually. And um, although, I'm going to be dealing with some uh, material that's, that, that uh, appears later in Ephesians chapter 2 as well. But, uh, um, Paul, Paul says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And we spent a couple of weeks just scratching the surface about Grace and now we 're going to we 're going to say uh, some things scratch the surface a little bit about uh, the reality of peace and uh, there's a little overlap going on uh, between our Colossians class at nine and our Ephesians study here uh, because we started both books at the same time, and they both begin with the same sentence, which all of the all paul 's epistles start with that grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord jesus Christ so we mentioned some of this, a little bit of what I'll be uh, saying today in our Colossians class uh, last week, but uh, most of you weren't there. So, anyway, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's Paul's greeting. That is his also his desire. You can see something of, of Paul's heart, I think, in, in that, that he always opens his letters with that very same statement. Paul, what are you hoping for? What are you wishing? What are you desiring That each church would genuinely experience, come to know the reality of. Answer. I want them to know the reality of grace and peace as they are in Christ. So, regardless of whatever those words may have meant to you in the past, I'm asking, as I always do, that you kind of, uh, including myself, just uh, look at it uh, anew, afresh. Let the Spirit of God. Uh, Open those words up as more than words, because they're they're just they're far more than concepts. Uh, Sadly, in my life, you know, uh, most of my life, I think they've not been much more than concepts I believed in. But they were not concepts that Paul believed in. Grace and peace were realities of life and experience to Paul. Grace and peace were things he longed to see the church walk in. They were realities that I think, in fact, defined all that life came to mean for Paul. So, grace, just very briefly, as we mentioned, has to do with the death for Paul. You know, I was thinking of Paul here writing this. Paul came to know death, uh, grace as a death that he was, he was invited into. A death to sin, a death to self, a death to the old, a death to the first, a death to death. A death that was finished in the work of the cross and yet a death that worked in him until he would say things like, I am being conformed to his death. Conformed to his death. And then a life. Not his life transformed. Not his life made better. An altogether new life. An altogether other life, the life of another, newness of life. We looked at that last week maybe, I think, Romans 6, newness of life. It's new because you've never had it before. It's new because it's His life living in you. It's the life of the resurrection, now working in in Him and and now bringing forth everything of true worship, true service, true ministry, all things, true love. All things are done unto God by grace. All all true service is is the working of grace in you unto God or it's not true service at all. I won't review review that anymore. But anyway, peace. Now we're getting to peace. So, just kind of prodding along here. Peace isn't a feeling. Peace, it's not what he's talking about. Uh, Peace wasn't just wishing an emotion. An emotion on the church of Ephesus. Paul wasn't... You know, it's not like saying, you know, guys, uh, this is Paul. I'm writing to you guys and I hope you have a hope you have a nice day. I hope you have a pleasant day. I hope you can, you know, loosen up, unwind, relax, smell the roses, catch a little sunshine. That's not the peace he's speaking of. The peace he's speaking of is not related to natural circumstances. This is this is a this is a peace that that t- transcends natural circumstances and actually defines you. It finds your heart in natural circumstances. It's not really an emotion. It, it's, it's, it's a reality of salvation that you have come to in Christ. A peace with God and with all who share Christ's life. And that's far greater, far greater than just a uh, human emotion. Now, with that said, the reality of that peace that Paul is wishing upon them to know. It, it it can and it will affect emotion. It does, it does affect emotion. There certainly are feelings of rest and freedom and joy and all of that associated with coming to the, the reality of this peace. But he's not just yearning for them to have some sort of pleasant emotion. That's not really what he's getting at. I'm sure you've all realized, we mentioned this briefly this morning in Colossians, but I'm sure you've all realized that that there's plenty of things that have nothing to do with truth or spiritual reality that, that can give a human being the emotion of peace. There are, for instance, drugs that can give you a peaceful feeling. There uh, are not, however, drugs that can show you true peace. <clears throat> there, are, there are breathing techniques, vacations, meditation practices, various beverages that can give you the feelings of peace. Peaceful feelings. The peaceful, easy feeling. (laughs) However, some songs about that. None of those things can grant the soul the reality of knowing peace. So, let me just say it this way. Peace is first of all a spiritual reality. And then through that spiritual reality working in you through spiritual understanding or faith, that's what faith is, Faith, the understanding of the Spirit, not your understanding of spiritual things, but the Spirit's understanding of all things working in you. Faith. Through faith, it becomes a human experience. But it's first of all a finished work of the cross and then it works its way into human emotion through the revealing of that finished work. The Father planned it. The Son accomplished it. The Spirit must reveal it. Or you don't experience it. So when Paul is wishing upon the Church of Ephesus the peace of God, he's not just, you know. I actually wrote that in my notes. He's not just wishing a peaceful, easy feeling. Who who wrote that song? There you go. The Eagles. I got a peaceful that one. No. Easy feeling. Yeah. That's Eagles, yeah. It's a good song. Anyway, uh We'll do that next Sunday for worship. Um, As long as you all can look through it and see the reality of Christ, I don't care. Uh, But anyway, you have to see the objective reality of peace as it is in Christ before you'll have any kind of peace that isn't just circumstantial. Before you'll have a peace that isn't just situational. Paul starts by wishing that they come to know the true peace that they've come to in Christ, and 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 our emotion and our sense of reality is affected by that. It is affected, it is affected uh, by the truth as we grow in faith, and it's always that way. We have to realize, we, we have to realize that uh, for us, reality, the knowing of reality, must come to define emotion. Emotion cannot be to you. That which defines reality. Has to be that way. For most of my life and still in much of my life, honestly, it's been the other way around. That's the way human humans work. We have these two things. Uh, two things that have no ability to know spiritual reality. We have this one that's called emotion, we have another that's called intellect. One or the other, or the combination of the two, working in cahoots, you know, it tries to tell us what is objectively, eternally, or spiritually real. And However that works, it's still a fact that neither your emotion by itself, nor your intellect, or the two of them together has a clue what spiritual reality is. The only way that any spiritual reality can be known by you is, first of all, you must be born of that spiritual reality and then Then, after you are born in it, then you must be taught by that spirit the realm and reality into which you have been born. Everything other than that is vanity and imagination that you drag over with you into Christ. I was thinking, you know, we just had a baby girl, almost, you know, our little girl. She's a month old now. But sometimes I just hold her and I look at, I look at the silly confused look on her face when she looks around a world that she comprehends nothing of. You know? She's just been born into a world that she, she knows zero about. She does not know the first thing. And I watch her, you know, she makes these faces, she looks around, Every everything is foreign, there's nothing familiar. You know, she there's a, there's a light. You know, it's first with a little newborn, just light. It's just like, light! You know? And, <laughs> you know, and then... You know, and they can't focus past, what, like 18 inches or something like that, so it's all kind of a blur out there anyway, but anyway, there's nothing that's understood. Y- you can see it in her face. How does she learn the realm and the reality into which she's been born? Only when those who are of that realm and of that reality explain and familiarize her with it. What if you, what if you, uh, ha- you know, left her alone in her room for, for 10 years? she she would come out 10 years later a lot bigger but still knowing absolutely nothing about the realm and the reality into which she was born and and uh yet she would still she would probably have emotions that corresponded to whatever sense of reality that that she you know imagined in that room you know would her imaginations line up with reality as it is in the world? Pro- probably not. I don't see how they could. You know, She's seen nothing. She's experienced nothing. She's been taught nothing. Well, listen, I'm not talking about my daughter. What happens when Christians are born again? They immediately find themselves in a realm that they know absolutely nothing about. The only difference between a Christian and my daughter is that a Christian like me is generally dumb enough to drag my natural understanding over into the Spirit and try to make it mean something. My daughter is at least smart enough to be aware that she knows nothing about the realm in which she's been born. Christians want to hand you a microphone and put you on a plane to be a missionary before you've ever seen the cross. If you have a salvation you've never seen, what exactly are you planning on sharing when the plane lands, anyway? Do you understand what I'm saying? So what am I talking about? I guess I'm talking about emotion and reality. You know, if my daughter Willow comes out of the room after 10 years, she'd still have emotions, and those emotions would feel real, and would and they would be defined by whatever in the world her sense of reality is. Maybe, you know, maybe in this room in 10 years she's come to love spiders and hate sunshine. You know, who knows? Uh, but maybe after she comes out if I was able to work with her year after year, I mean who knows how screwed up she'd be, but, but really, but maybe to some extent, uh, I would be able to help her with a reality that would then in time change emotion. I'm a little bit off my course. I guess I'm trying to say two things. First, that we bring over into the realm of life in Christ our natural intellect and emotion and we seek to define reality and it so often gets in our way. Second of all, I'm trying to say that our view of spiritual reality in Christ, faith can truly become the reality and stability and substance of emotion and intellect understanding. And that brings us back to peace. Peace is not, first of all, an emotion. Peace is first of all a reality of salvation, at least the peace that Paul's talking about here in Ephesians chapter 1. Peace, known by faith, can become a rest and a freedom that is more tangible than the natural world. It certainly became so to Paul. A peace that he could know in any circumstances. But... Uh, it, it, it is first and foremost a reality of salvation, a reality of, of relatedness to God. You could say it that way. It's a reality of relatedness to God. So, anyway, so if it's not an emotion, if it's a reality, what, what, what exactly is it? What is the reality? Well, the reality is that Christ Himself is, uh, how do you want to say it? Christ Himself is our peace. That's the way Ephesians 2 says it. Christ Himself is our reconciliation, both with God. And with one another. Peace isn't some once again, peace isn't something that he gives you. He doesn't give it to you in units. You know? Peace is something that he is and that he is made unto you. We're going to look at Ephesians 2, uh, 13 through eighteen here. I'm just going to read I'm going to read Ephesians two thirteen through eighteen. You can flip there if you want. But now <clears throat> uh, I'll let you flip there for a sec here. But now in Christ, I could stop right there and uh, <laughs> just talk for quite a while. But now in Christ, that that is, that is the eternal now that you have come to. That's the now in which you live. That's the day of the Sabbath that you are in where man's... Labors and efforts mean nothing, and everything is the light of his life. That's the day that you are, that's the now, but now in Christ. You who were afar off came to be near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made both one. Both, speaking here of the Jew and the Gentile, we'll get to that in a second. And broken down the middle wall of partition in his flesh, causing to cease the enmity. Enmity, that's just the hostility. Adversity, whatever word you want to. Uh, the law, consisting of the law of commandments and decrees that he might in himself create the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. Every word here is so important. That he might in himself create the two into one new man thus establishing peace and might reconcile both in one body to God through the cross, slaying the enmity in Himself. And then he quotes this verse from Isaiah 57. And coming, he proclaims peace to you, the ones far off and to the ones near. Verse 18, for through Him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. This is the best definition of peace I could possibly imagine. Every, every word of this is just so just full of, of, of reality. Here, here is how Christ has been made unto you peace. It's a peace that works two ways. There's, there's just one death, burial, and resurrection, but, it, but it's actually a peace. There's two realities of peace coming out of this resurrection. There is a reality of peace with God by us sharing His life. And there's a reality of peace with one another who are in that life, sharing that life. It's a peace that works two ways. In other words, you could say it like Jesus said it in John 17, verse 21. What does He say? He says, I pray, Father, that they may all be one as You are in me, Father, and I in You, that they also may be one in us. That's one sentence of Jesus that basically is, is uh, a description of those five verses or six verses we just read in Ephesians. It describes a unity. It describes a peace. It describes reconciliation. And I just want to read that verse again. I advertise to you this for your own time. John 17, I pray, Father, that they may all be one. In what way, Jesus? Just buddies? No, 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 not like that. As you are in me, Father, and I in you. That's the oneness I want them to know. That they also may be one in us. See, everything of the flesh... This I'm just going to summarize and then I'm going to unpack it a little bit. Here's, here's my summary of these verses. Everything of the flesh collides with the cross and is destroyed. The Jew, the Gentile come together in His death. They go down in His death. The enmity is destroyed between one another and between God. The enmity, the, uh, the enmity is, is, is completely, as it, as it says in Ephesians 2, slain. Then the Jew and the Gentile are raised up in him, one new man, sharing one life, both reconciled in that life unto God and unto one another in one spirit. peace, peace. Let me just break that down a little bit in the verses directly i didn't read it because I just you know it 's for time time he's talking about Paul's talking about what He calls the so-called camp of circumcision and uncircumcision, which he says is in the flesh. The Jew and the Gentile, those who are the seed of Abraham, those who are not the seed of Abraham. Jew and Gentile, that's everybody. That's not just, you know, two different nations. That's all nations included in those two camps, Jew and Gentile. That's just all there is. And the peace he now describes is a peace that both reconciles us to God and reconciles us to one another by destroying what he calls the enmity. Well, what was the enmity that man had with God? It was the Adamic man, the old man. It's the, it's the nature of sin working in the flesh, and that enmity was was described, was pointed out, was made manifest through the law contained in sin. I mean, contained in uh, the law, uh, commandments, decrees is what it says. Well, how do you destroy the enmity? Do you just forgive it? Do you just pardon it? No, no. You, you you destroy it through death. You put Adam to death. You put the flesh to death in the body of Christ. Slaying, Ephesians 2, slaying the enmity in himself. Breaking down the middle wall of partition in his flesh. That's how he did it. What was the enmity between Jew and Gentile? Well, it's the same thing. It's, it's in the flesh. In specific, that enmity had to do with uh, you know, what was required by the law. You know, we're the right seed, you're not the right seed, blah, blah, blah. But all enmity between man is in the flesh. All enmity between all men is, is a matter of flesh. Flesh bouncing off flesh. Flesh offended by flesh. Flesh comparing flesh. All, all flesh is put away by the cross. And so he slays the enmity in himself by means of death. By putting away the old man. By crucifying us with Christ. How did he put away the the enmity? Did, Did he, again, did he, did he pardon the enmity? Did he overlook the enmity? No. Did he, did he kill, did he, did Jesus die so you didn't have to? No. No, he put both Jew and Gentile into the death of Christ, slaying the whole body of flesh, the whole body of sin. That's how he did it. He destroyed the body of enmity in himself and then he was raised up as the life of a new body, one new man, one new body, reconciled to God, sharing one life. And what does that accomplish? That accomplishes peace. What is the nature of that peace? It is peace with God by sharing that life. It is peace with one another by sharing that same life. So what is the reality of our peace with God? Well, He forgave the enmity. No, no. He put you to death in the body of Christ, both Jew and Gentile slaying the enmity. There's such a difference. He put Jew and Gentile to death through His blood, through His cross and destroyed the hostility. Then He arises, then He alone arises out from the dead, the firstborn of many brethren, bringing many sons to glory. He he arises out and offers Himself as the resurrection. He offers Himself as the life. He says, if anyone wants to live, I am the resurrection. I am the life. And in Me, if you come in Me, I've already put to death Jew and Gentile. In fact, I've put to death male and female. For in Him there is neither Jew nor Gentile nor slave nor free nor male nor female. But what? But Christ all and in all. That's peace. That's peace. He broke down the the middle wall of partition. He broke it down between man and man and He broke it down between man and God. How does He establish peace? He establishes peace in Himself. He Himself is our peace. I know I'm just repeating Ephesians 2 to you over and over again, but it's, it's, it's fun. If you live in me, live, if you live, this is what Jesus, I'm just, now this part, I'm just, I'm just kind of, uh, paraphrasing, but if you live in me, if you live by me, then there is no, there are no distinctions in flesh. There is just this one, this something I call one new man. There is just, there is just one life, one body. And then Paul goes on to, uh, later on in Ephesians, he says, uh, he says, there is just one body, one spirit, one baptism into death, one faith, one God and Father of all, one, one. And then Paul deals with the Corinthian church and says, hey guys, I've noticed you're carnal. How, how did I know you were carnal? Because you're divided. But let me ask you a question. Is Christ divided? Do you see his reasoning there? There's just one Spirit. There's just one life. So anyway, that's Paul goes on to say uh, at the end of this, the last verse we read in Ephesians 2, verse 18, "...for through Him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father." How could, how could there be enmity? How could there be hostility if there is just one spirit shared by all, all of those who live? How could there be enmity if there's just one head with one body? Only if, only if the members of that body don't comprehend that one life. Only if the members of that body still think we're a bunch of individual lives trying to live for Jesus. Then there can be enmity, then there will be enmity everywhere you look. But how could there be enmity between my ear and my nose? Really, how could there be? So peace, peace is the result of, of of a death and a resurrection, not not just forgiveness. Forgiveness exists because of the death and the resurrection. Peace has to do with the destruction of the enmity between man and man and between man and God. Through destroying the middle wall of partition and replacing it with one shared life, one spirit. Where it is not, I'm not talking about you becoming Jesus, by the way, if you're new visiting, but I'm talking about Christ living in you. But I am talking about destroying the middle wall of partition and replacing it with with one life that we are all baptized into one life, one spirit, where it is Christ all in, in all. So Hebrews tells us that both He who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all of one. For this reason He is not ashamed to call them brethren. Christ has made unto you peace with God. How? Because we are judged in His death and we are raised in His life. Christ has made unto us peace with one another in His body. How? Because we all agree on the five points of Calvinism. No, because we all meet in a building once a week. No, because we all play in the same church softball league. No, no, nothing like that. But we act like those things are unity. We act like if we can establish those things, we've established peace. You know, my church gets together with this church and we, just, we, are, we play each other, you know, volleyball. It's peace. It's unity in the body of Christ. No, no. Christ is made unto us peace only because we are now individually partakers of one another being partakers of Him. Let me read you two verses. One's in Romans 12, one's in 1 Corinthians 12. Romans twelve four and 5. For even as we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function, so we, the many, are one body in Christ and each one members of one another. 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen. For also by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, bond or free, and we were all made to drink into one Spirit. Peace. Unity. So we were crucified with Christ and we were judged in His death. The enmity is destroyed. And then we are made to drink of one Spirit. So peace, but let me say this, peace is much more than just destroying the enmity. That's the beginning peace also peace more more than just destroying the enmity. peace has to do with being reconciled in one life and the reason I say that is because I spent some time reading uh this week and, and and it and it uh well it bugs me it does it bugs me that there's that there's a lot of Christian literature about the word peace, and you see so much of what is talked about in verses like this is just justification you know it's it's stuff like God. God no longer has a case against you because he crucified Jesus. So, you know, God's wrath is spent. Is that true, Jason? Yes, that's true. But there's a lot more to reconciliation, even in the natural, than just exercising judgment, exercising wrath. I mean, just think about it. I thought about this analogy. It's kind of gross, but, um, but let's just say something horrible happened to, to, to you in, uh, in your family. You know, let's say a man, this evil dude, comes, kidnaps one of your loved one and and, 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 they, and kills him. It's a horrible you're, you're mortified, you're angry, there's a manhunt, they catch the guy, you know, they set a court date, they try him, he's found guilty, and he's and, and they, they give him the, the death penalty. So, you know, after seven years of appeals and eight years on death row, Finally, they, they, they exercise the, 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 the judgment, the, 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 uh, the punishment, and, and, and he's executed. He, he, you've been waiting, you've been waiting, and now justice has been fully executed. He has paid for his crime in the most severe way possible. And let's just say, for the sake of this analogy, that you also sued his family. And, and, and not only did you take his life from him, you took all his money. You've got all his money. Taking this guy's life, and you've taken all of his money, there's nothing more you can take from him. But here's the question. Are you now reconciled to this man? Huh? You know, does it feel like everything's patched up? Everything's back to normal? Everything's resolved? Of course not. Obviously, there's more to peace with God than slaying the enmity. There's more to peace with God. There's more to reconciliation than justice. There's more to peace with God than, than, than justification. Through blood. If you're talking about justification, well then blood is all you want. Payment is all you want. But if you're talking about peace, then there must be some sort of reconciliation. There must be something more than payment. Those who are far off must be brought near. That's, that's the verse we started with in Ephesians 2. And that's why we who have been justified are then said to be reconciled to God in one body one new man drinking of one spirit. So the verse we read in Ephesians 2 doesn't just say that He destroyed the enmity. It then says that He in Himself created the two into one new man. It doesn't just say that there was blood. It says that He Himself is our peace who has made the both one. It doesn't just say that you were justified. It says through Him we both have access by one spirit to the Father, so, so that's why it kind of bugs me when I hear peace, uh, peace with God taught as merely uh, wrath, the wrath of God spent on Jesus. Firstly because the wrath of God was spent on you, Jew and Gentile in the body of Christ. and there's a lot of difference. Second of all, because peace isn't just the death of the old, peace is sharing the life of the new. He Himself is our peace. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's peace. Peace isn't something that we're trying to create in His body. It's something that, that that is Him as the life of His body. If you think about it even in the natural, peace isn't something that my hand and my ear are trying to create in my body. Jason is made unto my hand and my ear peace. You take away the Jason, you don't have peace between the hand and the ear. So, uh, Paul is not trying to teach the body of Christ to form a committee and create unity in, 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 in the church uh, in some sort of carnal bond of peace. What does he say? Does he say, you know, endeavor to create unity in the bond of peace? No. Ephesians 4 3, endeavor to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It's not something you make, it's something he is that you preserve by sharing that one mind. Let this mind be in you. Be of one mind. Be of one judgment. The mind of Christ working in you. How could could my hand and my foot ever have disunity only if they did not realize that they were of one life? Only if they did not recognize that they were each members of one another. I did... I did this analogy in uh, the Colossians class last week, I think, uh, but I think it might bear repeating. Uh, I had a friend growing up uh, named Chris and his dad, his name was John, uh, I think he had emphysema, and uh, he needed a lung transplant. Ever since I met Chris, I mean, his dad was just so sick, always coughing and always just so miserably sick and on oxygen and whatever. And he waited years and years uh, until he he uh, eventually did get a lung, lung transplant and um he, he's actually doing great now. He's, fine. he's playing a lot of golf and he's he, it, whatever. But the first, maybe even the first two, lung transplants didn't take. The, one of them ended up taking. I don't remember if it was the second one or the third one. But, uh, but his, his body rejected the first lung that it was given. Rejected it and it eventually had to be re- removed and replaced. And I was thinking about that the other day because of how we act in the body of Christ. I uh, I uh, remember him, uh, I think I was in high school, I remember him at that time being on all kinds of anti-rejection medication to keep his body from rejecting his lung uh, while he was awaiting the next transplant. Because you got to get on some list or something and then you, you wait till the next of your blood type and all that stuff. And then, boom, you get the call and then you go in. I, I think that's kind of how it works. Anyway, but in, in the meantime, he was... He was on this uh, anti uh, rejection medication because, because basically his body was saying, This thing in me is a foreign life form. You know, this thing in me, might, it might be a lung, but it's not part of my body. It's not my lung. It doesn't share my life. Get it out of me. That's basically what his body was saying about this, this lung transplant. And, and it made me think of how we act in the body of Christ. We don't understand the nature of our peace. We don't understand the nature of our relatedness, our oneness. We have to take anti-rejection medication to keep from having a church split because we, because we don't understand that we've been made to drink of one life. And, and often you know, we understand the theology of, it, the theology of that, but, but I would say that far too few of us, myself included, have come to really walk in the reality of it, which is, of course, by faith. So the eye, the foot, the lung, they all share one life. But unless we comprehend Him as that life, then we will reject every organ in this body that doesn't line up with whatever we think or whatever we want or whatever we think we're doing. We're going to do it every time. What is the nature of our peace? The nature of our peace isn't sharing similar ideas, doctrines, hobbies, locations, theologies. That is not the nature of our peace. That may or may not have anything to do with the nature of our relatedness at all. The nature of our peace is established through the sharing of Christ as our life and is experienced through the knowing of Christ as our life. I'm going to say that again. The nature of our peace is established through sharing Christ as our life and only experienced through the true knowing of Christ as our life. Colossians 3, 3-4 For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Whenever Christ, our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed together, that word there is the Greek word soon, with union, together with Him in glory. Glory is in a place, incidentally. I almost don't like to finish that sentence, because it almost like takes the, takes the bang off that verse, because in glory, we're thinking of some place far away, and that's just not really close to what that's talking about. But, glory is what we have come to in Christ. We have come from the glory of the first covenant to the glory of the second. We've come from the glory of shadows to the glory of the living relationship, Christ in you, the forever expected and hoped for glory of God. That's what we've come to. And whenever Christ, your life, is revealed, then you are revealed together with Him in that glory. So, so when my, my, my friend's father finally got a lung that worked, it worked because the rest of his body said, hey, this thing's part of my life. The rest of his body realized, hey, you know what, we're members of one, one another. We've all been baptized into one life. We are all sharing one life. That was not just a theology you know, that, that body believed in, that was a reality of life and experienced by sharing one mind. So, anyway, peace is first and foremost. I'm wrapping up here. Peace is first and foremost a part of your salvation in Jesus Christ. It's first and foremost the reality of both reconciliation, or justification and reconciliation with God. Justified through his death, reconciled through his life. And it is in and by the person of Jesus Christ. Remember that verse. I'm just going to read this one part again. It's so, it's so rich. In Himself He created the two into one new man. In Himself He created the two into one new man. That is the reality of peace. And this is what Paul begins his letter to the Ephesians, wishing, praying, hoping that they would come to know and experience. And when that objective reality by faith is made real, then it absolutely does become a subjective experience or realization, freedom and emotion. But Paul's not just wishing upon them an emotion. He's wishing upon them the true knowledge and understanding and realization and reality of a peace that they have come to with God and with one another by sharing one life. Now let faith grow. Now let the true knowledge of God abound. Let the revealing of Christ work this into you as an experience. An experience of peace with God, wherein there is now no condemnation. An experience of peace with one another, where we are all baptized into one spirit and become partakers individually of one another. I'll leave it at that. Let's. Uh...